So in teaching this retreat and in teaching in general, I'm often kind of saying I'm translating, really. Um, language is a translation, isn't it? All language is a translation of some experience that we're having. Oh, yeah. So we translate that I mean, you know, almost un- immediately. Oh, you got it, that's good, that's bad, that's bright. You know, you get this perception and it gets, word gets written on it. You can store that away, you can bring it out. Translation is is the human consciousness. (laughs) It's the great translator. And the Buddha was uh, a marvelous translator. Mm. His direct experience. Uh, so profound, so far-reaching that uh, it must have been hard-pressed to find words for it. Some of them are still very difficult to, you know, we just place them in like Nibbana, unconditioned, you know, you know, you know is it's big. <laughs> uh, stuff like that, yeah. There's just places a word there. It doesn't mean it's a thing. It just means it's been known. It's been experienced. (laughs) Not all experiences are things. In fact, uh, in a true understanding, no experience is a thing. (laughs) But words are things, aren't they? They're definitely begin and end, nice, finite, black and white thing. And yet, experience is not a thing. (laughs) Right? It's just this dynamic process. So, in all translations are inaccurate. that sense, but they're useful markers, they're useful markers. And uh, this, you could say, you know, on the processes of really, you know, translating experience into that which we can get a handle on, and also using the Buddha's teaching, what we're getting a handle on, being able to put that back into, how does that refer to what the Buddha taught, so that we can get some advice on this one. Mm. Somebody's been there already, you know, and seen what we haven't seen, how that process can move on. Mm. So this is, a, this is called wise reflection, one of the aspects of wisdom, one of the ways in which we bring our panya, this discerning, reflecting, assessing intelligence to bear. And uh, it's uh, considered of supreme importance for us to kind of be able to pick up the teachings, make use of the teachings, and also for the sense of clarity that it brings and ongoing guidance that we br- that it brings. We really want to be learn to be wise, how to get a handle on our experience, how to what we need to do with that you know experience we're having, where it goes to, what's the skill with that one. You know, and basically this is in line with the template of the Four Noble Truths. And what is, you know, suffering, stress, incompleteness, unsatisfactoriness, the unfinished, the irresolute, what is that? How is that, you know, frame that up? And what, what is it based on? What's it conditioned by? You know, and how does that cease? And what's the process that enables that to move on? shift and change. Mm. 
experience. Yeah. And even then, we're, just, we're stuck because you use a word like suffering. Well, suffering? I'm not suffering, I'm fine, you know. I'm fine, I've got my cup of coffee, I've got my <laughs> television on, I'm fine, and I think life is good. What's the suffering stuff? You Buddhists are sick. You're sick or sick in the head, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> right, the television doesn't break down. <laughs> you know, and suddenly you're like, wow, you're on, we're on shaky ground, because it may have been suffering, but it was fragile. <laughs> That's another way of looking at it, Dukkha. <laughs> It's fragile, it's not really that solid, it's not stable, it's not constant, it's not uh, completely fulfilling because you've got to have another cup of coffee afterwards and a, then a pizza or whatever, you know, it just goes on, doesn't it? So, we, you know, you start to see, well, that word, how can you put all that three sentences behind one word? So you say, oh, it's just tuka. <laughs> Sometimes you end up just going back to the Pali because... Translating into English is a double translation, and that gets even more confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it's already a kind of translating experience into a word is bad enough. Then translating one word, one language, with another one, <laughs> you get all these kind of bits where it doesn't really work. <laughs> and of course, there are some major pieces uh, that I kind of feel coming up in questions and in my own reflections. You know, a couple, two or three terms I'd like to tease out because they are quite pivotal uh, you know, and wrongly handling these, wrongly grasping these, ideologically getting stuck on these. We take words as literal truths rather than then we can really find we are we're in fact twisting our experience to try to fit a word. <laughs> yeah. You know. And it's, it's yeah. And one of the big ones, of course, is self, isn't it? Mm. You know, I mean, we have a, a woman who's been, she was training in, in as a psychotherapist doing a four or five year study and she comes to the monastery every week and really finds so helpful. Just the experience of being, listening to teachings, getting teachings, meditation, so helpful. It's really helped me so much. Is it? But funny, I just can't get over this sense of no self because here I am trying to patch up people's selves. <laughs> get into a healthy sense of self, you know, self, you know, they feel self-respect and a sense of self-worth rather than being all broken up and crumbly. And now, what's this bit about no self? So, you know, we went through that kind of thing. So that's uh, one snagging point, isn't it? Because, of course, even in the Buddha's teachings, say, you know, one should respect oneself, one should uh, train oneself. Uh, this is for one's own welfare. <laughs> so who's this? There's no self, you know, who, who's, who's getting anything out of this? So we take, you take this no self thing as kind of final ideological statement. That's pretty bleak. <laughs> you know, you're just constantly trying to wear out, wipe out something that's, that's actually quite fundamental. And uh, so what I'd like to say, you know, is this is, um, you know, when you look at the way the Buddha used the word self, and what he, what he challenged it on was things such as, um, is it changeable? Is it a Nietzsche? Is it relative? If it's relative, can it be satisfying and stable? If it's relative and changeable, can this be called your Atta? And of course the word Atta, self, 
in India meant something slightly different from what we're talking about. The Atta was a kind of like an immaterial entity that lived inside you, that uh, inside your body, or you didn't quite know where it was. But some people thought it was a little, tiny little thing in the heart. And when you passed away, this Atta went out and unified with Brahma. You know. So he said, well, you know, have you ever seen one of these? No. <laughs> uh, and when you take any particular uh, process, such as the bodily process, or the feeling process, or the process of the flickering realm of sense consciousness, to be, this is what I am, or I'm in this, or I'm one of these, you know, on this particular set of sense sensations and not those, right? There's, there's a, uh, we caught, get caught up in affirmation and denial. I don't want to be that one, I want to be that one. Is that suffering or not? <laughs> you know, isn't this what happens? There's bits of me that I'm oh, quite okay with. <laughs> Other bits, uh, I, don't want to know, <laughs> I don't want to know about, you know. <laughs> And it's because of the process of affirmation and concretization and rejection you know, that causes this internal dissonance. You know. And that's, so that's all bound up with taking something that we can witness, touch, sense, feel, experience as this is the final, this is the real, this is the eternal essence of what I am. In short, Atta, self. So whenever that happens, notice what comes up. Wonder what happens, you know. Because whatever that, that we project that onto is subject to change, is not the complete picture, is not the full experience, it's subject to change, and then when it's gone, you, you've got to get another one, you know. Or we're trying to reject some aspect of our experience. Mm. You know, suffering, stress denial, uh, internal conflict, uh, distraction to get away from the difficult bits. Yeah? That's, that's the process hmm? called upadana or taking, you know, it's a kind of instinct to hold on to something, to some finite me- measurable thing. Upadana, grasping, clinging, feeding on, assuming something to be solid self. Now what I you know, said to the, uh, the inquirer was, well, you know, we have a word in Buddhism called citta. You know, people trade it as mind, awareness, you could even call it psyche if you like, if you're a psychotherapist. And uh, this is the self, or it's like a reference, a reference point to that which experiences, that which experience lands on, that which experience happens to, or seems to happen to. It's a, it's a result. Chitta is something that, that is established in human consciousness. It means it's, it's a self-reference. Yeah. Doing this. <laughs> it's a self-reference. And chitta does this. It self. It, yeah. <laughs> a chitta is also dynamic. 
a dynamic process and what it does is it turns. Yeah. Yeah. It does that. So this is happening to yeah. <laughs> me. Yeah. And then what as that with that process comes the filling in the details of what the me is at this particular time. Body, feelings, sensations, thoughts and so forth. That's another process. The jitta is the is the turning of self reference and then off comes the information of what that may be at any time. And, that, and the information is changing all the time. The self reference continues. Yeah. And and uh for the average person anyway. Yeah. And if, if it doesn't continue for the average person there's either two two um, experiences. One is psychosis, and the other is nibbana. <laughs> <laughs> so for most of us, that's probably uh, something to... Because uh, you can't... You know, there's no sense of this is happening to me. Where am, wh- where am I? You know, it's a fundamental loss of ontology, of being anything. We just kind of... You know, the mind is just sprayed out. It's inability to assemble anything. So one of the two things that chitta does, just in its fundamental reflex, is it establishes a sense of being, stable being, you know, relatively stable being, or beingness. And f- images flicker across that. Yeah. And we can, you know, with a bit of practice, we can let f- images flicker across that because we still have a sense of a stable being, call it the witness or the watcher, you know, or the mindful one, and that stuff can happen across that, you know. And that's chitta. Hmm? As you say, it's the self beyond and even despite self-imagery. So as we train and practice, we find, oh, you know, actually I can, I can be with rather unlovely thoughts. I can be with difficult emotions. I can be with painful feeling. Mm. That's our training. is Your chitta becomes strong and resourceful. And that is totally healthy. And that's what, uh, I guess, you know, therapy is about. And it's a lot of what Buddha Dharma is about. Establishing the healthy, strong chitta. And it gets healthier and stronger the more our relationship to these self-images can become... Uh, easier, freer, looser, more wise. When I say self-images, I don't just mean the pictures that come up. Self-images is a simplistic way of expressing it, but it's tones, mood tones. We feel kind of happy or uh, unhappy. Uh, mood tones is colouring. Yeah. The sense of being is flavoured in some way. You may not have a discrete picture, but you get a sense of the space is flavoured, coloured, toned with some somewhere or another. And there are different levels that your base tone might be kind of you know, sort of okay, just a tad anxious, you know, mild anxiety. And then on top of that, there can be the whole process of much more co- much more apparent images, like worrying about this or that or the other, and did I do that okay? And mind you, maybe I made a mistake there and I've done something, you know, 
So all that more discrete, more, more apparent images build up on top of an underlying tone. Hmm? That tone also is just uh, a coloration, a flavoring. Hmm? Hmm? And that also is not who we are. But in the tonalities, we come to the most fundamental and difficult, yeah, or, or yeah, difficult. Hmm or tenacious uh, qualities. Mm. So this chitta establishes a sense of being, and uh, being for the unawakened person is gonna be being okay, being reasonably steady being the sum tone that is that it, it kind of leans on. That's the fundamental upadana is it leans on some tonality, such as feeling confident, feeling okay, or even feeling anxious. It, it is not necessarily a pleasure thing that it leans on. It leans on the sense of stability to find something that is constant. That's the most basic uh, program of chitta, find something that's constant, otherwise you're totally scrambled, you know. <laughs> so if you find something that's constant, if it's anxiety, if you you know, if you find, lean on that, then at least you know how to work with that. You know, you've got something to refer to. If you're underlying manageable level anxiety, we just start making sure that's okay, that's okay, that's sorted out, that's, you know, you know He's my friend, I've got this, and you know, I've got a lock here, and got funny in the bank, I'm okay. I can manage, I can hold my head up, I'm okay with other people. Mm. So much so that we don't necessarily feel anxious. Feel a bit busy. <laughs> but everybody else is busy, so we think, well, that's, that's normal, isn't it? And it's also, you know, it's totally, uh, you know, the, the chitta also produces or thoughts come up with that. So we always have r- ways to explain why we're busy. Yeah. Because it's you, sorted in next week, and, you know, plan for this and so on. And, you know, yeah, there's plenty, plenty to be anxious about, isn't there, really? Hmm. And then you come on retreat, and still a little bit to be anxious about the zafu, the food. <laughs> Somebody else probably gonna cough on me and get sick. <laughs> yeah. Ticks outside, just voracious ticks, <laughs> primed to launch their fangs into my leg. And it's all, yeah, possible. It's all, it's, and it happens, doesn't it? We do get sick. And, Mm. why we use the word refuge is so important because it's a way of just coming to the touching into that very kind of normal uh, anxiety that hardly measures as anxiety just measures being as making things okay and what would it be like if there was something that could just you know, just <laughs> hold you together, take care of you. <laughs> yeah. 
That's what we're saying. The Buddha said the only real thing you can finally find, the real stability where you can relax into is, is refuge, is the, is the refuge. And we're trying to take that as just being a you know, Buddhist liturgy, Buddhist theory into a felt experience. You know? And uh, that really is the, the purification of that, is the move toward, to, to Nibbana, which he said is Kema, he called it, one of the epithets of Nibbana and Kema which means this is secure, <laughs> this is stable. <laughs> yeah. The mind's freedom from all grasping, this is stable. So, you know, the process is one where really, uh, you know, giving our chitta something to feel more stable with and we say, well, what is the most stabilizing you know, processes that we can go through? Feeling is not going to do it. You know, memories are not going to do it. Thoughts are not going to do it. Mm. Intention. Try to establish intentionality. You know. And that's still, you've got to keep, do, but you can do it. You can keep coming back to that. And you've got intentionalities, I think, Ajahn Mehta's talking about patience. It's a wonderful intentionality. Ajahn Jayanta's talking about metta. That's a really not a sentimental thing, but the basic sense of, of allowance, acceptance, even of the disagreeable. Mm. You know, non-aversion, not recoiling, not blaming, not wounding, not judging. Mm. The non of that. These are wonderful intentions. When I say intentions, I don't mean deliberate plans. I mean like the way the, the chitta is trained to incline to that, to, 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 to lean in that way, to those particular um, ways of being. They're just much more useful it's not about being nobler or just about what's most useful, what's most uh, strongest. And that can be developed. You can't develop feeling. <laughs> you know, feeling just happens, painful, pleasant. You can find ways of, of triggering it, but we begin to recognize that those triggers wear out. You can't get the same high from the, the, the hit from whatever it was we were getting happy from. Mm. The more you hit it, gradually the, the feeling effect dies down. You get bored. But intentionality, if you pick it up and go back to it, the more you use it, it, it grows, it strengthens. You don't get less of it, you get more of it as you widen it and deepen it. So it's just more useful. It's very pragmatic, this. And we look at, so we start to say, you know, if I want stability, you know, which we do, can I incline towards, say, loving kindness, patience, ethical values? Can I, you know, orient around those rather than whether this is really that pleasant or not? Sometimes it's not that pleasant. There's not a pleasant way to patience. It's not a smooth road, patience. It's generally a rocky road. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
equanimity. You try the road to equanimity. It's a rocky road to equanimity. <laughs> Not pleasant. <laughs> you know, compassion. You know, it's lovely, isn't it? When you talk about other person's compassion, I feel quite beautiful, happy. And, you know, but compassionate really means being the something that's painful, miserable, you know, hurting and widening and widening and widening and not moving away from it. Just that constant, you know, inclination to accept mm, compassion. Mm. These are things we can do a little bit at a time. And you, you, know, and you can do a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and the more you do it, because it gives you much more strength and stability. You know, this is painful, yet yet I feel good with it. (laughs) You know, I feel good with it. (coughs) You know, so like patience, you know, and other people, it's so such, you know, what we need to be with each other is is really patience, is this not just um, really having a great time together? That, That can be nice, but, Frankly, (laughs) 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 you live in communities, day in, day out, it's patience. (laughs) Just a sense of each other, shut up. (laughs) You know, just no, just one more time, just, just, you can bear it, another minute you can bear it. Okay, well, about about ten seconds you can bear it. And instead of that kind of dismissive, feel so good just to dismiss, shut up, get out, boot, you know, and after you think, oh my God, that's awful. You, know? <laughs> you feel terrible. And think, okay, next time. You know. <laughs> Patience, yeah. yeah. So, and, uh, you know, a lot of it, like, I go to these five hour business meetings and you just can't understand what's going on. Why this is so complicated and simple thing like a monastery, for God's sake, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Reviewing, budgeting, accounts, auditing, legal processes, charity commission, legal detail. (laughs) 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 And now I'm just thinking, I came a monk to get away from all this. This is not going to ruin my samadhi. This is bad. <laughs> and just, just another minute, you can stand it. And you feel yourself widening and widening and widening and widening. <laughs> and eventually, don't, don't, you know, it's always tough, but you don't regret it at the end of it because then, having done that, you know, if you've really widened and strengthened the irritating, boring, tedious stuff of life, when you sit down, there's a possibility you might be just a little more patient with yourself <laughs> and do the same thing, you know, and find, I can be with this. I can be with this. And once you can be with it, then it's no, it doesn't dig into you. It doesn't wind you up. It doesn't, you don't get the same reactivity. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. And once it, the, then the mind, instead of constantly orienting around that experience for its feeling, it orients around the quality of patience. Mm. 
So as I've been saying, you know, the difference between the kind of feeling that comes from, you know, sense contact, which includes mental contact, and the kind of feeling that comes from intentionality, which is subtler, but steadier and more long-lasting. That, that's an important shift. Because the other thing that Jitta does, apart from establishing beings, it establishes feeling. Mm. Yeah. Because there's being, right, when something touches being, how do you, how do you, how do you, how's it experienced? There's an effect, isn't there? When something, we say something touches me, you know, using ordinary language, it's an effect. It could be neutral, mildly agreeable, mildly disagreeable, terrible, you know, sights, sounds. And you, as your mind quietens down, you recognize, yeah, it's always feeling something, isn't it? Could be on a mental level, you know, memory, oh, nice memory, beautiful day, visual level, you know, fragrance of some kind, sight, oh, agreeable, or it doesn't look so nice, dirty, smelly, oh, well, never mind, you know. But it's so, or it's around feeling so quickly that so we just kind of keep shunting away from the slightly disagreeable towards the pleasant, more pleasant. And that movement is what avoids dukkha. So dukkha is covered or, or ignored or not seen through that ability to, to move, to move away. Mm. And so the mind is generally moving towards, which is the more agreeable in any situation. Now, when there's the disagreeable and we can't move away from it, what do we do? Mm. Mm. We find our sense of, of stability through rejecting it. I feel strong and I reject it. I've, I've, we, we go back to being again and we amplify the sense of being. I reject. I can't get away from it, so I'm just going to condemn it. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the patterning of chitta. And the rejecting, condemning, dropping is the big uh, tragedy, really. Because we do it to each other. Mm. And we do it to ourselves. And we all know the inner tyrant. Mm. It may not be a heavy one, but it can be mild, it's something that can be very heavy. And we're doing this to other human beings. And there's all so much pain in that. And we've had it done to us, I imagine. Sometimes, you know, and it's it's horrible, isn't it? You know, when you're no longer were so lovely or agreeable, or you you know, or somebody just got fed up with you, or you know, you know and then, and then that feeling of loss comes up, and then the mind you know, staggers around because uh, our beingness is established on the ability to to maintain stability. And what jitta does, because its nature is also empathic, it senses that, you know, we look for our fundamental stability as human beings from other human beings. That's why we're social creatures. You know? yeah. 
Or we look for it from animals. You can't find a human, you get a goldfish. (laughs) 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 Or plants, you know, water your plants, or love nature. There's always something there that you can, you know, be warmed by. But most obviously, clearly, as humans, we're we're programmed to find that with other humans in some way or another. They don't be kind of just agreeable, you know, gruff grunting together, you know. (laughs) Where you get a sense of we're buddies, you know. We go out and chop logs or do something together. We feel nice, you know, we're bonding. It's a kind of guy's ways of bonding. And then somebody says, you're out of the club, you know, you're not good enough. Then, you know, there's that. And if this is, happens very, very early, which can happen for people, then really your chitta hardly gets properly established. So you get people uh, autistic or... Well, your chitta really hasn't been able to establish itself because it's, it has to be carried into and formed in this human birth through other humans, like when you're... You come in a mother's womb, you know, things are all right in there, you know, it's quite nice and warm and so forth, and then boom, game's over, out you go. (laughs) And (laughs) you've got to kind of start forming in some context, in the human context. So it's so important to have other humans who help your chitta to come into, you know, I'm okay here, I'm okay being here. And sometimes that isn't always the case. So, or it's only partially the case. There's only so much of me that can be accepted. Or mm-hmm. I remember some friends of mine. Uh, they they're compassionate people, and they thought they would adopt uh, 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 an orphan. Uh, these orphanages in China, where they had a single child policy, <coughs> and uh, which you know sounds. One level, it sounded a good idea. But what do you do if you had two? Basically, you dump one. Because you can't, either you're going to go in jail or you can't afford it. And uh, you, so you, you, let, you just dump one. And uh, the way, way it is, is so often the dumped one is the female. Because the, the son is the important one, the daughter is just something you marry off kind of thing. So, you know, there's all these orphaned, little baby girls, you know. So they thought, well, we can't say that we'll do one. We'll go and do all the business that's required to adopt uh, an orphaned little one. I think she was about 18 months or something. And the mother just left her out in uh, somewhere in Manchuria, which is pretty cold, so little thing. She was just on the verge of going completely autistic. Because when there's no sense of another being that you kind of resonate with, who looks at you, who touches you, picks you up, you know, then the chitter doesn't form. Doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't know, it's got no self-reference because the self-reference is encouraged by another person referring to you, you know? It's just a developmental thing. So this, this little one was just on the verge of shutting off completely, having given up the sense that there would be anything around that could be possibly nourishing or helpful. So they had to take the little one, and, and they said for the first six months, they didn't 
put her down for a second. I mean, that, that either one of them would hold her. They held her constantly for, for six months. Never a moment when she wasn't being held by somebody. You just held, feel the f- fingers, hands, body, warm body, visual contact, you know, and she was still kind of screaming and all that. And they just did it for six months. Well, they, they just said, we'll just do it for as long as it takes. And this little one was not able to form, you know, and so it's just this chaotic state, shutting down, not really able to be aware of a world around because of the fear of 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 aloneness and rejection. And said after six months of being constantly held, this moment when the little one actually opened her eyes and looked and reached her hand out. And he said, oh, we finally landed. <laughs> you know, it's finally found there's somebody out there for me, you know. And that, that's, uh, so, and they've brought her up. And they say, well, she'll always have these difficulties. There always, there's always an orphan in there. And uh, so, you know, you give as best you can and, as, you know, as much as you can. And she's kind of okay, but still there's these times when she's screaming in the night because that, thing comes back again, the loss comes back. Hmm? So, you know, is that attachment? Is it is it wise to say don't attach to anything? <laughs> is that really helpful to say don't attach to anything? Don't hold on to anything? Is that is that really a good idea? <laughs> is that what the Buddha is recommending? <laughs> You know, we're going to be orphans. So you really start to, you know, look more at your experience and and what these words mean and how we can use these words uh, in ways that uh, are not for our welfare. Mm. So, you know, you unpick that and say, what does it mean? It means be mindful, bear some frame, find a validity of frame. You could say that's the, what, you know, what a therapist might call skillful attachment, we call mindfulness, (laughs) which means, yeah, that, I'm referring to that, I'm referring to that, that's referring to this, you know, and you frame it. But the frame, instead of being, or you know, working with it. So instead of being framed with uh, uh, greed, say, I'm going to get one of those, it's framed with awareness, framed with the very fundamental quality of consciousness, just to be aware. If it's not framed with that, it's going to be framed with something else. And even worse, when there's no frame, then you just, you're not there. And this happens for people, you know. I mean, it's a, I don't know, causes and conditions, but these, this happens for people. They lose the frame. You know, various forms of psychological, why we have therapists, is to start to help person build up frames. Mm-hmm. And while they use mindfulness in therapy also, it's to establish frames. Because there's a loss of it, you know. 
There's a loss of it. There's a loss of that. Able to be in the world without and feel I'm here. And so depression, um, various quite common um, jitta afflictions. And when one of those hits, you're just not there. Well, you're, you're some, something, but you're not there. You know, there's, there's no ground. There's no ground. There's just no ground. And it's cold out there. So you build up frames, you know. And when a person can't do it themselves, then you do it for them. You start to build in the frame, rather like the parenting. You say, here we are, let's go for a walk. Here we are, how are you doing? You know, just simple stuff. You humanize. And that human contact is the fundamental frame that our jitters will naturally incline towards. Because that's why we're called humans, you know. We orient to that rather than deer or butterflies or, you know, (laughs) on a ground level. Mm. Nothing you can do about that. So... So why, of course, you know, Kalyanamitta is considered pretty much essential. Mm. So that we're, because f- we're going we're gonna to frame, we're going to refer to other humans instinctively, intuitively. So let's refer to the good ones. <laughs> you know, le- let's attach, if you like, <laughs> yeah. to the ones who are skillful. So if we can get the modeling, the right energies, the, the support in the, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Because if we don't, we'll, we'll, we'll do it to somebody else. We'll do it to rock stars. We'll do it to, you know, people who aren't even there. <laughs> you know, just pictures on walls and ideas. That's what, that's what happens for people. We'll do it to a theory. Yeah. And, and of course, we'll do it to a virtual reality, like a should-be. You know, I'll bond to my should-be's. <laughs> You always like to bond to a should be. (laughs) I should be. (laughs) So you're always trying to get to what the should be is (laughs) aiming for. We bond to it. And then we start to reject everything that the should be doesn't doesn't approve of. (laughs) So you get, (laughs) this is the inner tyrant. So, you know, should be, you know, not getting the agreeable, feeling the agreeable thing, so there should be, rejects, cuts away. So you, you're continuing, or the ongoing process of orphaning continues, rejecting continues. So much of our practice is just, I'm being with this, I'm being with this. You know, if my being with this means I go out and walk in the woods, that's fine. <laughs> Oh, you should be sitting and meditating. You should be sitting still on your cushion. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I tried that. I just need to go for a walk in the woods. <laughs> That's attachment. <laughs> well, you know, look, you know, because <laughs> uh, you know, we also we do it to each other. There's a sense of tribaling, isn't there? A group form becomes a tribal tyranny. Mm. So, you know, we say, if you want to retranslate 
some of these uh, things like look at mindfulness as a, as a reference, uh, providing skillful reference, skillful framing. Mm. So the jitta becomes steady and stable. So make sure you don't, you know, are you attached to Buddhism? Are you attached to meditation? You're so attached to lighting incense. You people are attached to robes. You people are attached to sitting still. You people are attached to, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> you think, <laughs> uh, it's uh, what do you use for reference? You find your resources where you can. And you begin to see in that, you have to learn. You know, actually, that, that's near it, but you can purify it. You can purify it of some of the um, you know, self-gratification, self-imagery. I'm a great Buddhist. No, no, no. You don't want to be a great Buddhist. Just practice the Dhamma. <laughs> you know, let go of the images. Clear the images. So you just, I'm practicing Dhamma. <coughs> Creating a frame of reference. And naturally we can get senses, you know, I'm a great meditator, whatever. Okay, great meditator, let, hear that one, feel that one, let that one move through. So next time you're falling asleep on the cushion, it won't kick you in the head. (laughs) Sometimes we're great meditators and sometimes we're falling asleep. So just be aware of things like clinging and attachment and looking at what's a helpful framing enables me to make conscious what is unconscious, what is almost pathological, you know, the blindness of clinging. And, you know, if I was born enlightened, I wouldn't be doing this. So, you know, because one isn't born enlightened, you've got to work your way through this, these fundamental upadanas. Um, uh, by being mindful of them, as you place at center, there's the, there's the thing, there's the experience, there's the feeling, it's like this, how, good, how much good is it? It's some good, but it's not fine or it's not enough. Okay, and then what about the intention? Can I just come back to that and, you know, gradually develop that one? You know, in community, in Sangha life, you know, eventually you just come down to the sense of Sangha becomes your intention, you know. Living with people, you know, he's wacky, this guy's wacky. But he's, he's a monk, okay. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> I don't want to do this, I really don't want to do this. Yeah, but the Sangha's meeting, okay. I don't want to go to a meeting, yeah, but the Sangha's meeting, you go to it. Because you hold the intention of Sangha, you know, intentionality of that. And Ajahn Chah's teaching is very, very strong on that, you know, really encouraging that. Because if we don't, what are we going to do? We can basically, I'm going to orient around me, mine, me, mine, me, mine. And uh, some of that's pretty blind. It doesn't develop what they call parami, transcendent virtues such as patience, equanimity, things that are not easy to cultivate. You have to go through the rough, grumbly, grouchy patches to get there. You know, and this is kind of what we we really try to model, you know, in, in our teachings. 
and in the setups, group, 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 not obsessively, but you know, accept it, accept the coughers and the sneezers and the wheezers and the gaspers. <laughs> Squeakers and the clunkers and the <laughs> all that. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> why do they let these people in here? Because <laughs> it's becoming more patient, <laughs> and you ground and you broaden, you widen, and only you go. It's okay. It's okay. May all beings be well. I'm going to be sick and wheezing and gasping and clunking one day. I hope somebody can accept me. <laughs> so just to also recognize that the, this level of upadana is really like not a conscious, clearly defined holding, but an unconscious grasping. So it's, it's, it's like more like a level of pathology. You know, you don't have a lot of say over it. You just found it. You just, it just happened, you know. <laughs> so by being more conscious of it, and you've got to be conscious of it, that means there's no pejoratives around it. You know, it's not sinful, wrong, evil, nasty, stupid. It's just that. You know? So it's the kind of coolness of the Buddhist teaching. just laying it out. You know, this is Upadana, it's like this. So that instead of the should, should be, shouldn't be stuff happening, you kind of contemplate here's that delightful taste, flavor, fragrance, and that kind of natural oh. <laughs> pausing, waiting, feeling what's happening in your body, breathing, breathing in, waiting, breathing in, breathing out, waiting, breathing in, widening, softening. It's okay. It's okay. I can, I can let that one move. <laughs> I feel better that way. This isn't a rejection. This is what's going to make me feel stronger and better in the long run. Another pathology, and to be careful, to be aware of, is what uh, confusion occurs around desire. Mm. You have essentially have two uh, forms of desire, just like uh, um, mindfulness and clinging. You know, you've got to be careful that you don't scrap one for the other, yeah. just a, like a skillful referencing, a skillful resolution, a skillful commitment is not the same as pathological clinging. Mm. And the two may get mixed up, of course, but you've got to keep separating that. Yeah. What's my, you know, again, you know, what is my aspiration for Dhamma and how much of it is clinging? You can't be clear, but you just keep practicing and seeing where you get disappointed and frustrated and ideological and righteous and think, no, this isn't it. This dumber is not about righteousness. It's not, you know, it's not about that because that's suffering. So it uh, doesn't mean there's no such thing as clear resolution. Similarly with desire, you have two, two terms, uh, chanda, motivation, and, and tanha, thirst, craving. When you tease the, w- the word open like that, you get two quite uh, distinct, distinctly different patterns, because chanda is the, is the go for it, do it, mm. and tanha is the gobbling habit. <laughs> yeah. Tanha is the sucking in, the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and chanda is the 
rising up to do. So people say, well, you know, surely you're practicing enlightenment, that's just another form of craving. Your, your, your attitude about wanting to get samadhi, that's craving, isn't it? It's desire again. Well, it could be mixed up, could be a bit of that in it. But, uh, you know, chanda is the conscious, chosen inclination, and tanha is the unconscious hunger. You're not, you don't decide to be hungry or thirsty. <laughs> so the decisive decision is chanda. We call it, it's even considered a way of voting. You give your chanda. It's your decisive, I go for that. Now that can be motivated by hunger, but it can also be motivated by love, compassion, um, you know, resolution, so forth. It can be skillful motivations. And if there's no skillful motivation, then uh, there's no progress, there's no resolution, there's no clearing, there's no process in the Dhamma. Dhamma is a process, you have to engage with it. If you engage with it because there's motivation, why is the motivation? Because there's faith, there's aspiration, there's something we feel is worth being motivated toward, about. Yeah, to be true, to be clear, mm. to be steady, to be honourable, mm. to be honourable, to respect, yeah, to respect the planet, to respect each other. This is worth motivating around, mm. and you feel the difference there because it, certainly something is becomes upright. Mm. And as we've, this morning we're chanting the words on loving kindness, let them be able and upright. Until you're able and upright, then metta is always going to be very suspect. Mm-hmm. You know, very confused, actually. So the chanda is that which sets us up. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that can be mixed up with, with various forms of craving. Yeah. So you've got to just do the best you can and start to filter out, because if you crave, you suffer, that's for sure. <laughs> so you just start, set it up and start to recognize why you're suffering, or how, how suffer, what conditions suffering, and let go of that. You know? So we practice, and we practice, first of all, with an aim in mind, with, a clear, with an idea of what we want to be, and then we gradually soften on the idea of what we want to be. <laughs> we just, I'm going to be here. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to frame up present awareness. You know, so you start to see if I'm starting to aim towards some projected goal, this is definitely a condition for the arising of tanha, thirst and craving. So I'm going to have another piece of self-imagery. And of all the things to crave, you know, fundamentally, the bottom line of craving is self-imagery. Let me be filled with something pleasing, some pleasant tone, sight, sound, but even more important, mental, mm. psychological. Let me filled with a, be filled with accomplishment, attainment, praise, um, all this sort of stuff. And you suffer. We suffer with that. Mm. So much so that uh, 
certain, you know, as, as your practice becomes a little more steady and assured, you really look into not what can I feel, what can I empty out? <laughs> what piece of self-imagery can I empty out? Which piece of, you know, colouring, flavouring can I, you know, say I don't need that anymore? Mm. So that's, that's the movement of chanda, you get eager for it. Mm. But it's all process, so that only can happen that, that, you know, we can't start being that totally clear and pure and so forth. You start with, say, you know, can, and the fundamental thing we're using most primarily is just the upright body. You don't have to be that brilliant to have a body, <laughs> that pure to have a body. Breathing in and out happens to nasty people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the Buddha again very compassionately say, look, here's something you can start with, you know. Before you're pure and wise and noble, noble, just start with breathing in and out. And you're gonna, as you come into that, you know, you're going to find yourself feeling where your mind skips off and coming back to it, framing it up, framing yourself with breathing time and time again. Doesn't mean getting rigid and riveted on it. it means just okay. There's the worry or doubt, breathing through that. There's the guilt or regret. Breathing in, breathing out. There's the sense of disappointment, breathing in, breathing out. You know, and you just keep that like, this is the parent that never drops you for a moment. You know, the one that never rejects you is your own breathing, right? Yeah. You know, it may not be that much fun, <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> yeah. And the more we really honor and respect that and attend to that, this is going to provide us with the stability, the uprightness, you know, physically and also in terms of attention. It's going to make you upright. It's the wise parent. So, you know, you can be with me. If you really want to appreciate me, you better sit up. I'm not going to blame you, but I just can't be there if you don't <laughs> arrive, you know. So it's kind of gently training us to, when I sit up, I don't just mean physically sit up, incidentally, you know. If you want to lie down, it's fine, you know, it's not, I mean psychologically sit up, you know, mentally sit up, sit up, you know, be here, be present for it, arrive, you know. And if that means coming back to it many times, keep coming back to it with a sense of returning to the best parent that you could ever have. One's never going to drop you. And it will also infuse you with ease. Hmm? So framing it up, are we attaching to breathing? Are we attached to mindfulness of breathing? You, you can form that. You can get uh, ideological about it all. You can get, because that's another way we get our, the, uh, you know, if upadana occurs around views, which is physical or sense contact. Upadana occurs around views. We cleave to, we adhere to, we seek views. We seek ideologies, we seek beliefs. I mean, not you folks personally, but look across the planet. You know, people are getting wound up about some religious 
doctrine or some political ideology or fundamentalist positions. And it's happening everywhere. Why do people do that? Hmm? You know, you recognize anything other human beings are doing, you've got that too, <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. And so, you know, what is that? What is that? The insecurity of not having a refuge means we have to uh, have an ideology instead. And, you know, it's going to go religions, forms, whatever, you know. And you can feel it because when you start to get righteous and you suffer and you inflict suffering on others. And you do it probably for the, I'm inflicting suffering on you for your own good. Or because it's right, you know. So just wary of that, you know, the the tendency to get ideological about Dharma practice, you know, where we should be, any of it. Attachment to forms and customs, traditions and systems, techniques and, you know. And you gradually acknowledge some of these as they happen. Oh, gee, God, oh my goodness, that's what I just did. Caught me, you know? Own up, be upright. You can't go any other way. Truthfulness, great barami. Mm. Yeah, you know, and it happens as when you have a, a nice retreat or something like that. Oh, this is great, this is it. And, you know... Everything else is wrong, only this is right. Or, or maybe you don't say it, but you think it. You know. oh, they're not ready for the really good teaching yet, you know, lesser beings. You know, judging others is one sign of it, of the attachment to positions and views. You don't need to know. You don't need to know who's right. <laughs> Just to know what, what enables you to feel upright. To be living upright. And then there's a balance there. And like with all kinds of balance, you sense yourself being held. And this is a, to me, this is one quality of fruition where instead of holding on, you know, you feel yourself your sense of being held, you've come into like, and this is the body does that. You come into balance in your body, you know, oh yeah, it's being, it's held in itself. It's no longer leaning, you know, I'm using the body again just as an analogy, because sometimes bodies need to lean and so on. But this is what we do with our, trying to find in our mind, where's the place where I'm not having to hold on to something feeling of being held. This is where we suddenly get the sense of the fruition of the refuge. And this is the mark, you know, the stream entry mark. And let's not get all upadhanad on stream entry. (laughs) 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 You know, it's said as someone who has completely gone to refuge, you know, which means there's no having to hold it, it holds you. That's just to, to mention that, not as something to get all fired up about, but, you know, when does that process, when does it come to that place? Yeah. 
maybe just there for a second or two. It's not like, bingo, the lights come on, angels start trumpeting, dream intro. But, you know, you flicker in and you're a little, less, little more balanced, a little less holding, and then you come out again. And then you come, and you come out again, you know. It's like, it's, it's subtle. You're just finding your feet on the, sh- on the floor. But the, you know, the attractive, to me, the, one attractive way of languaging it is being held by the refuge. Mm. So a lot of our stuff, anxiety can let go. Our greed can let go. Our defensiveness can let go. Mm. And we're no longer the orphan can, you know, feels held. Mm. So all these other props that human beings find themselves needing become unnecessary. Freedom, freedom. Anyone?